This is Laura Van Arendongba, and you're listening to To Write and Have Written, a writer's guide to the business side. This is an audio recording of the weekly live stream where you can join us each Tuesday on Twitch. Details and a schedule of upcoming guests and topics can be found at lauravab.com. Now to this week's episode. Hey, everybody. I am Laura Van Arndonkba, and this is To Write and Have Written, and tonight is a field trip. So, let me get organized here. I had a glorious, huge, like if you were here for my marathon live stream and you kept hearing me say I needed an intern because I was trying to manage like two or three screens, um, and so for Christmas I got a really nice, like, big monitor it's amazing it's huge and i'm so like excited about it except it turns out it's an hdmi 2 and my machine only supports hdmi 1 so my husband's using it and i don't know if i'm gonna get it back but it's a really nice monitor (laughs) so that's my that's my goal is to get eventually uh, get that um back but uh yeah that's anyway so i have to like start the stream and then go rearrange all my things for tonight so that we can um go ahead and do it hey shy red fox thank you so much for resubbing i appreciate that oh that's very nice well, nice to see you again too um yeah are <laughs> so close to having a great monitor yeah it's it's so nice i'm so excited i'll i'll share photos whatever it comes around again um so, and, uh, yeah, anyway, that's, um, that's on my list of things that will eventually happen. So, okay. Um, let's talk about tonight. Okay. Yeah. Tonight is, uh, tonight's field trip. Um, and we were dangerously close to not having a fun field trip tonight. Um, which, uh, it's been a very busy week for me. I launched a novel, Crown and Creed came out yesterday. It was very much a surprise launch, not a, long buildup like I would normally do, um, you know, letting everybody know that it was coming. But if you've been around on the stream, um, you know that I was going to have uh, Kin and Kind coming out as book three. That got split into two books, Crown and Creed, and then Kin and Kind. And I just tried really, really, really hard to get the first of the two out by the end of 2020, just because we, need, we needed something nice in the <laughs> stopping in 2020, and people have been so patient waiting uh, for book three. So um, now that book three was book three and four, I did go ahead and get book three out. So that um, that happened. That was rushed. I've been cramming really hard on that, and I got an audiobook out. Shard and Shield came out an audiobook this week. Uh, I sent a short story off to for traditional sales. Um, we had Christmas. That was the thing that happened. Uh, anyway, so there was a lot that was going on this week, and... Um, you know, it takes a while to put together a nice educational slideshow. And I was, wasn't sure I was going to be able to pull something off this week. Okay, hold on a second. I got way too many messages coming in and I need to kill this. So it stops notifying me. Okay, awesome. Anyway, um, so we need to thank my sister, Elena, um, for pr- prompting me to do this topic here today. Um, because she said, oh, no, this is really interesting. People will like it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I can totally talk about that. So that'll be fine. So... Yay. <laughs> Seekers in the chat talking about the monitor. It's beautiful. He says, I know I want that back. All right. Awesome. All right. So, yay. All right. So, but we are taking a field trip and we are taking a field trip to, let's see if I can, Isla Floriana. Um, so, this is Floriana's an island. It's the southernmost island of the Galapagos Islands. Uh, the Galapagos being, of course, a really amazing uh, ecological location right on the equator, uh, owned by Ecuador and famous for being uh, just an amazing ecosystem. Um, very famous, obviously, for Darwin visiting and um, you know, writing some stuff about, you know, finches and yeah, whatever. Uh, but yeah. Uh, uh, just also just like a really fascinating history. So we are not going to talk about all the amazing stuff that's in the Galapagos. That was um, Seeker and I for our 20th wedding anniversary. Um, gave ourselves a really awesome, like, you know, lifetime kind of trip. Um, so we went to Ecuador, hiked for a week, uh, backpacking in the Andes, and then went to Galapagos, um, to see wildlife and uh, all that kind of so that was a great trip 
there's tons, tons that we could talk about there, but this we're just going to focus just on Floriana. Um, and in particular, some of the uh, really interesting drama that happened there. So, um, yeah, let me get my pictures back. So all of the photos that are in color are photos that I took. The photos that were taken in the 1930s were not taken by me. That'll be the easy distinction as we go. So, but I believe they are um, okay to use. So I don't, uh, you know, I can use them in this context. It's fine. So we'll just say that. So Floriana, as I said, southernmost um, island and the Galapagos. And this is where the post office or the mailbox is, if you've heard of that. Um, So this is a tradition that dates back to the times of the whaling ships. They had a barrel set up that was their mailbox. And so um, sailors would write letters, leave them addressed in this barrel. And because so many whaling ships stopped here to take on, uh, in particular, food, um, we'll talk about that in just a second. And so they would shuffle through the letters and like, oh, well, we're heading to Nantucket. We'll take these. We're heading to, so we'll take these. And um, and so the letters would eventually get to a port and then eventually get delivered. Um, this is a tradition that still goes on today. So you write your letters, your postcards, you leave them there. Now it's all just tourists, of course. Um, and the tradition is that you sort through, you find something that's near enough for you to deliver it. Um, so when we were there, um, I left some letters. I found some that were actually... Des- you know, ultimately destined for my zip code, and I took them and I hand delivered them. So that is uh, that is how you do it. It's all it's all honor system, of course, but you know it's it's a lot of fun to just maintain that. So that is where we are. Um, this island has been um, receiving ships for hundreds of years. Um, the poor Floriana. I'm just going to say like, it's, it's, it's a bit of a, it's had a bit of a rough go. Um, so like, I I don't want to get into, like, I don't need to go into like how bad the whaling ships were for this place. Um, but one of the things that they would, that whaling, uh, the whalers would do would stop and, uh, collect the tortoises. Tortoises were very popular for foodstuffs because you could keep them alive on a ship for a long time without giving them food or water or anything to, uh, to do that. And then you could kill them and eat them at leisure. So, uh, they would just pull up and just collect a lot of tortoises and move on and, um, do, do some really devastating you know, things to the population. Meanwhile, also dropping off, you know, goats and then goats run over the island because um, that's not, it's a very invasive species. Um, and then they'd be like, oh no, the goats are destroying everything. Let's put some dogs on the island to eat the goats. Oh, that didn't work out either. So basically take like the history of Australia and New Zealand with uh, invasive species, put them over in the Galapagos. we got the same kind of thing going on. Um, we're still, you know, recovering from that today. Uh, but the very famous disaster that Floriana had uh, was in 1820. The whaling ship Essex pulled up to take on tortoises and water. Um, and as they left, because uh, that's about as good a reason as anybody can offer, they set fire to the island. The whole island burns. They wipe out that population of tortoises, wipe out a lot of everything else, too. Um, but... Have no fear, guys. Uh, on the, uh, the the spirit of nature, um, came, did a karma slap upside the head because um, later in the voyage, uh, the Essex got rammed by a sperm whale and sank, and uh, all of the crew went into uh, lifeboats where they ate each other to survive, and ultimately only eight of them made back to tell the tale. And this was a very famous incident, which ended up inspiring Moby Dick. So. There's your chunk of uh, thing. If you if you want to read a fascinating story, um, non it's nonfiction um, account based on two firsthand accounts from survivors um, in the heart of the sea is a book that came out around two thousand ish. I guess um, I quite enjoyed it. Not uh, probably everybody's cup of tea, but it's a really amazing account of of what went down there. So that is where we are, <laughs> Floriana. Um, and in 1832, Ecuador, who now owns the islands, decides to put a penal colony there. It's a terrible place. It's a terrible idea. Things are really harsh. The conditions are awful. Lots of prisoners died, and they decided not to do that. Fast forward. We're now in the 20th century. This is where we're going to start spending um, a little more detailed time. Excuse me. So, um, sorry, yeah, I'm catching up on the... On the uh, 
chat slowly. Yes, the mailbox is really cool. It's so much fun. It's amazing how many different places you'll see represented as you're shuffling through the mailbox and how many of them will be close to you. <laughs> it's pretty cool. So, okay. So in the 1920s, Ecuador decides, okay, we've got these islands. We should probably figure out something to do with them. They are not yet appreciated for the ecological gem that they are. They're not yet appreciated um, in the tourism sense that they are today. So um, Ecuador is just like, basically Ecuador got these because there were some rocks in the middle of the ocean that were on fire and nobody else wanted them. Um, now we look at them, we're like, oh, wow, there's like a lot of really important fishing rights. There's like a lot of really important uh, ecological things to, to study and to develop and all of that. But um, at this time, that was not none of that was happening. So Ecuador is like, we got to do something with these. How about free land. You homestead the island, we'll give you free land. Uh, you can have hunting rights, you can have fishing rights, and you don't pay any taxes for 10 years. Um, just show up and tell us that you want some. And uh, so, meanwhile, over in Europe, if you know your European history, um, we are between World War I and World War II, which means post-First World War Germany, having a rough go of things. Um, economically, politically, not a great situation. So Dr. Frederick Ritter in 1929 and his former patient, current lover, Dora Strauch, or, um, and, I, and let me just preface this with saying a number of these people will be using different names at different points. And when you read reports of this, you'll see different names used for the same people. I'm going to try to keep it very simple. She uses, I think, at least three names um, depending on the period and who's reporting, um, but I'm going to try to make it try to make it as, as simple as I possible. So, Dr. Frederick Ritter, um, former patient, current lover, Dora uh, Strike or uh, Corvine is maybe a, a name she also used. I don't remember. I didn't write that one down. Anyway, they each of them say, "Hey, spouses, you guys take care of each other. We're leaving together and heading off to Ecuador." And they move to Floriana. Um, again, part of this is moving away from the political situation, uh, the economic situation was not great. And it's partly in their case to go someplace where they can indulge in their slightly less orthodox beliefs. Um, very big into Nietzsche. Uh, Frederick Ritter is writing a book, um, a theosophist work, or philosophist work, lots of stuff. Um, they're Maybe into nudism um, before they go. They're definitely into nudism when they get there. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit. Vegetarianism uh, and specifically uh, the the practice of hypermastication, um, which is excessively chewing your food. That was a thing for a while um, to the point that Dr. Ritter actually damaged his teeth just by over chewing things so much um so he had all of his teeth removed before he went over there thinking that once he got out into nature with a natural diet his gums would toughen up and he did take some steel dentures that he had developed for himself as well i have not found any indication that they were involved in the german uh, naturist movement um but it kind of seems like something that they might be into especially um with the, the news the went with that so i don't know it definitely was a thing in that time and place i don't know if that was a thing that they were personally into but um once they got to the island it was really hot they decided that yes nudism was the way to go now speaking as a very pale northern european person who really does not fare well and under equatorial sun that is not a thing that i would ever be do because i would be dead of sunburn in like two hours. Um, but apparently that was something that they, they practiced there. Um, so they were writing lots of uh, letters and accounts of their very much pioneer life um, at there, and they're sending them back to Europe. They actually get picked up and published in the newspapers, and um, so they became kind of famous. People were talking about, oh, they've got this Eden, <laughs> leaving this Adam and Eve existence in this Eden, and so they would be sent gifts, um, and, you know, they were famous and people uh, would stop by the islands just to see them and that kind of thing. Now, life is not all that great. I mean, it's, it's a really difficult place to live. There's not a ton of water on the island. I mean, it's a, vacant, it's a volcanic island. Um, so you've got a few freshwater springs, but mostly you're catching rainfall when that happens. Uh, Dora's teeth 
uh, begin to rot. So they use garden implements to remove them. And then the two of them share the pair of dentures. Um, it's just very, like a lot of collections. We'll get into like, there's a lot of um, wacky characterizations that, that are going to come here. Um, but there's a, there's a yacht that you'll hear about a lot called the Valero. Um, but uh, Waldo Schmidt, who is one of the scientists on the, on the um, Valero, he's a Smithsonian scientist. And he wrote, Ritter's book is of theosophical leanings, but is the type of theosophical writing that no one cares to read after seeing the first page. <laughs> so it's, um, you know, he's, they're out there just doing this very serious, you know, we are, we are new kinds of people in this new territory, you know, kind of thing. Um, uh, Schmidt also noted that they weren't really nudists because they went without clothes for practical reasons, because it was hot, not for philosophical reasons. So they, he said they weren't nudists, they were just naked. Whatever. Anyway, it is often repeated that when, um, if you stopped at the island, there was a little sign and a bell to ring so that you could let them know that you had arrived and then they would put on clothes and come to meet you. So, so that's 1929. They move in, they start developing uh, their homestead on Floriana. 1931, the Wittmers move in. Now, the Wittmers um, are uh, Heinz or, and Margaret. Um, they come because, again, the situation in Germany is not good. He had been in World War I in the trenches, um, did not do well with that, came out, had no job, lost what savings he's had because of inflation, um, and was reading about you know their adventures in uh, homesteading on Floriana and said, let's go there and do that. So they arrive with their 13-year-old son, Harry, uh, that they're hoping is this is going to be a better climate for him. He's not super well. Um, and she's pregnant. So they're going to have their baby on Floriana. Um, there's you know, not a lot of housing additions on the island. So they live in a pirate cave until they get their house built. They build a house of stone. It's actually supposed to be one of the nicest places that's built on the island. Um, and, you know, they're, they're a fairly traditional family. Um, they didn't come here so they could run around naked and quote Nietzsche. They, uh, they came because they wanted to make a new uh, life and they um, do a very traditional new life. You know, they're having three meals a day and tea. You know, I mean, they're really working hard uh, to just create a better life that they couldn't have in Germany. So others did come and uh, you know what? I've got photos that I'm not showing you. I'm so sorry. Look at these pictures. Um, so this is at the mailbox, as I said. Um, here we have Dora and then Dr. Frederick Ritter. Um, and again, you, sometimes you'll see them called the Ritters, but they weren't married, so that's not strictly accurate. But yeah, anyway, so this is uh, the two of them. And then this is the Wittmer family. Um, so that was the, uh, the, the baby there who's, oh gosh, what's his name? Rolf. Rolf. Uh, first person born on Floriana that we're aware of and was born in an ex-pirate cave, which is pretty cool. And um, I believe still alive today. He's going to be one of the ones who makes it out of our story. So, <laughs> spoilers. So, the, uh, uh, the, the, the island is, is a tough place, as I said. Um, so, this is a photo that I took while we were there. And you can just see the, the thorns on the, on the plants. One of the reasons I don't think that going nude was the most practical decision, but sure. Um, and it's a volcanic island. Volcanic rock is really hard. I mean, like you get got lots of nut nutrients for your crops if you can get them in, but you have to get them in. So they're having to carry their, uh, um, having to carry their soil into for their garden. Yes, Bridger, they had a German shepherd. They brought a German shepherd puppy with them, and uh, I just think that's awesome. I've not been able to find out the dog's name. It may well be in Margaret's memoir. She did write a memoir, which I have not read. And uh, so the dog's name may be in there, but that's why the dog doesn't get named in my recounting. Sorry. So some other people did come to try Ecuador's, you know, homesteading uh, offer, but nobody else really stayed because it's a very difficult place. And this is hot. Um, you're on the equator, lots of sun, lots of heat. You're on a volcanic island. Um, there's thorns. There's not a lot of water. Um, there are, you know, the, the whalers and the pirates have left hogs. They've left goats. They've left donkeys. They've left dogs. So um, you have a lot of things coming in and trying to eat whatever you put in the ground. Um, you know, it's just a difficult situation. And most of the people leave. 
So um, the this group comes in, and they um, they just walk in and colonize the like they just claim this land in the name of her. So um, this is, and I apologize, my Germans, my German names are not that great. This is Eloise Verborn de Wagner Bosquet. Okay, she is self-styled a baroness. We don't think she's really a baroness. Um, the the best the best guess we have for her actual origin um, is that she was an Austrian secretary in Constantinople during World War One. Um, she's stranded there without a job when the war ends. Thanks, Bridger. That was my best German like, attempt. I'll try for it. Uh, so. Uh, so she starts working in a cabaret. Um, she finds she attracts a, uh, a French merchant named Bosquet. Bosquet. I don't know. Really bad at. Sorry, French is not one of the languages I do either. Um, they marry. They move to Paris. They live with his mother. His mother is apparently not super keen on this particular match. She starts introducing um, Eloise to other men uh, with predictable results and um the her son files for divorce leaving eloise at liberty to do what she wants which is spoiler everything um so two of the eligible bachelors that she picked up in paris were rudolph lorenz and robert phillipson and those are the two that you will see in this photo so she brings um them to ecuador for exactly the purpose you're thinking of um and oh, she one of the things she did while she was um, married in Paris was she bankrolled um, a ladies' clothing shop for Lorenz, who is the guy in the middle back. Um, and then they were like, "Oh, I'd like to go to Ecuador now. We need money for the trip. Let's just ditch the shop and not pay anybody." <laughs> so they, you know, sold out the shop. They left their creditors high and dry. Um, they did have a bunch of leftover French silk lingerie, which she brought because that's very appropriate beachwear. Um, this is completely within her. Uh, I'm going to say her brand, yeah, um, because she did a fantastic job of branding and marketing herself. She arrives on Floriana. Remember, like we have. Um, the Ritters and the Wittmers, who are with the, the household with Ritter and Dora, um, who are not like good friends, but at least civil neighbors. Like they talk to each other occasionally, but they're not really cooperative. Um, on and, you know, they're not. They're not. They came to get away from things, and that includes each other, right? Um, so, and then she rolls in, and she's like, "Yes, I am the Queen of Floriana. I am the Empress of the Galapagos." I am going to build a five-star resort hotel. I'm going to develop the entire island to bring in everything. I'm going to invite multimillionaires to stop by on their yachts. Um, and she absolutely does, again, branding, marketing, somebody to look at. Um, she develops this hyper-sexualized persona. She will meet boats uh, as they come in to the beach um, wearing very little, carrying a pistol, cracking a whip i mean she is absolutely um had, works hard to develop her reputation um and people are stopping by like anybody traveling in the south pacific makes a detour to get to floriana so they can say they met this person because she is becoming famous in newspapers and whatnot um and you can actually go back and find like amazing uh artist interpretations and whatnot of her meeting people on the beach and you know stuff there's great things out there so um this is the opposite of the idyllic quiet pioneer life that <laughs> we just sit around and quote nietzsche or to bring up our kids in a safe place um kind of thing that uh, the, the her neighbors who were there first had envisioned um there's a little bit of material aspect to this as well Florian is a really hard place to live. You can't get things like tea from that environment. They have to be brought to you from the outside. So if you would like to have tea or fresh tools or anything to make your life easier while you're there. Um, when, and remember that um, uh, Dr. Ritter's letters were being published in the newspaper. That's how they got the things. So people knew they were there. People would stop by as they were um, 
going through the Galapagos, they would leave things for them. So they actually were getting gifts from the outside world to help them um, in their homesteading. And now that there's this blazing star drawing all kinds of attention and just uh, sexing the place up and all of that, people are not bringing them uh, gifts because everybody's captivated by her. Um, And we're going to get to that in just a moment, but let me come back here. We've got somebody else who usually gets left out of the tellings of the story. But when I was looking things up, um, I found more information on him and Darn it, he needs to be in this story too. So this is Captain Alan Hancock. I put an orange arrow on there for him. He's captain of the Valera, which I've mentioned before. Um, and he's kind of an interesting character. He is an oil and a railroad magnet. He is a pilot. He's a shipbuilder and a captain. He's an agriculturist. So he is rich and adventurous and kind of trying to do something with himself and his money. Um, and so I found a description of him in the, in the Smithsonian. Um, he was one of those Renaissance man tycoons, so typical of the early decades of the 20th century. He financed the first nonstop flight across the Pacific, donated the La Brea tar pits to Los Angeles, and toured cross-country as a cellist with his own string ensemble. So, yeah. <laughs> so he's in the Galapagos with on, on the yacht, the Valero. Um because he was doing, and I think he actually did multiple expeditions for the Smithsonian and the San Diego Zoo. So he is financing and directing and running this expedition to collect specimens and to do research here. So they are coming by Floriana uh, several times, where he meets everyone that we've encountered so far. Um, And some really interesting things. So a lot of the photos and footage that we have of these people um, come from this expedition, but it never gets cited in that particular way. Um, But Eloise, the Baroness, um, is working her magic on everybody. And so he's got uh, photographers and cameramen um, running film cameras, you know, for this expedition as well. And she talks them into, and I've seen uh, this, this, you can find this film. Um, They made a they made a movie starring her. It's a very short film, uh, and it's The Empress of Floriana, I think, is the title. And it's a thinly veiled adventure all about her. Um, so it's no secret who that is. But anyway, so that's what they're doing. And they've got um, uh, video footage of, you know, they're documenting their expedition of meeting these people and introducing. Uh, yeah, they, we've stopped, and this is Dr. Whitmer, and this is Dora, and whatnot. So, we've got video of these people. But these people, like, collectively are messed up. <laughs> I just, like, and I, and I say that with a certain amount of judgment. We're all messed up in one way, but this is a collection of, this is not going to go well, all right? So, um, remember, Eloise brought her two guys with her. Oh, she also, I'm sorry. Um, there's another guy who always gets left out, and I almost left him out as well. <laughs> um, let's go back and grab his name. Manuel Valdivieso, and he was an Ecuador, uh, Ecuadorian national, and he was brought along to do the heavy lifting and to do the uh, to do the work, and nobody ever talks about him. But I want to make sure that he's you know mentioned as well. So we've got these collections of, uh, of people. So Eloise brought... Um, Rudolph and Robert with her, but Rudolph's definitely the low. Rudolph Lorenz is very definitely the low guy uh, in this arrangement, and so she and Robert would team up and pick on him, abuse him verbally, sometimes physically. Um, we don't know all the details of that, but we know that occasionally he would just escape to the Wittmer's house, stay with them all day for several days whatever until somebody would came and take him back and then time would pass and then he would eventually would show up at their house again um eloise had lots of pets it is said that she would um you know first fawn on her pets and be really uh you know doting on them or whatever and then she would harm them in order to be able to nurse them back to health um like she shot a donkey so she could doctor it and like just not not healthy. Um, Dr. Ritter, flashback, he's our, our first team of people who came in here, um, had his own set of beliefs that he wanted to come over here to practice. 
and Dora um, had, among other things, multiple sclerosis. And in fact, if you look at some of the Valero footage, you'll see her moving with a cane because she is uh, suffering from this. And he had it in his head that she could just willpower that thing away and be fine. So he was getting really upset with her when she was you know, struggling with it more and more and needing the cane and, and struggling. And um, to the point where he would just not speak to her for days at a time because he was so angry that she was, you know, not just getting over this. So that's going on. Um, as I said, Eloise, you know, got the, got the research team to make a movie about her. So yay. Um, Dr. Ritter and the Vitmers are concerned um, that Eloise is going through the mail she's close to the mailbox so she's and editing their letters that are going to be going out to make herself more fantastic and to put stuff in there to discredit dr ritter and the vitmers um again you know they're not getting stuff because she's uh, intercepting all the attention um and so she's maligning them and so uh ritter is very upset by this in particular so he complains to the governor of ecuador um but allegedly, Governor of Ecuador has been another one of Eloise's side pieces, and she um, you know, has him wrapped around her pinky, and he's not going to do anything to interfere with her interfering with the mail or you know, anything else that's going on. Um, and there's a lot of things that might be going on. Um, something that is not too disputed is that uh, two people uh, were lost in a boat, you know, in trouble, you know, got to shore, um, started to come up on the island, and she ran them off with a gun, not allowing them on her island um, without giving them, as castaways, aid. Um, and then a story that it may or may not have happened, but uh, an awful lot of people at the time repeated it, um, which was that she accidentally shot someone in a hunter party on the, on the island and said, oh, I'm sorry, let me fix you, you know kind of considering what other things we're hearing. So there's a lot of stuff going on. It's getting down to petty theft, um, not just complaints in legal sense. Um, Robert Phillipson steals uh, Ritter's donkey. And again, they're, you know, this animal's, uh, you know, one, else their pet. Two, they're using it for uh, for work um, and, you know, carry, carry soil and water and things. Um, so he stole the donkey, put it in the Vitmer's garden, Remember I mentioned they had all the feral animals that were coming in to, um, to eat their, their garden and their crops. And so um, they shot it thinking it was one of the feral animals coming in. So they go, ha ha, I got you through it. It was just a horrible collection of things going on. So all this comes to a head, March 27th, 1934. So on the morning of that, uh, that day, there may have been a gunshot there may have been a scream. These are reported only by Dora. Nobody else heard a gunshot or a scream. But what Rudolph, this is one of the days that Rudolph is staying with the Vitmers. You know, he's, he's been there again for several days. He's off helping uh, one of the kids gather wood. Uh, Margaret says that Eloise shows up very excited, um, asks where, uh, where, um, Rudolph is, and says, oh, we've just, you know, some friends just came in on a yacht. They went, they're t- going to Tahiti. They asked us to go with them. Um, so Robert and I are on the, going to Tahiti with them. Everything that's left at, um, you know, at, uh, at the Hacienda, everybody's left, everything that's left can, can go to Lorenz. That's fine. Um, bye. See you later. Have a great day. Have a good, have a nice life. So I head off to Tahiti. Um, the problem with this story is that no one else saw the yacht come in and no one else heard Eloise say this. Um, the house with Frederick and Dora had the best view of the bay. They never saw a, a yacht. No yacht carrying Eloise and uh, Robert ever made it to Tahiti. They never showed up anywhere else. Nobody has ever seen anything of them since that day. Um, so Eloise's belongings, after a couple of weeks, start to show up at the Vitmers. I don't view this as particularly, personally, I don't view this as particularly meaningful because honestly, like, if you think they're gone, um, you know, and they left everything there, then 
go ahead and leave everything there. You know, they go ahead and take help, take some of it. You know, she's brought really nice silverware. Go ahead and use some of the silverware. Don't just leave it there, you know, kind of thing. But the problem is some of the stuff she left, Dora says she never would have left, such as a copy of The Picture of Dorian Gray, which was allegedly her favorite book. And Dora says she never would have gone anywhere without that book. I think it probably sounds like the kind of book that uh, Eloise would read, but she probably only read certain parts and missed like the whole point. But great, that's fine. Um, so um, these are, uh, there, there are just things that don't match up here. Dora says that she heard a scream and a gunshot on that morning that Eloise and Robert disappeared. Dora says that Rudolph killed them and the Wittmers helped. And um, Dora says that acacia wood, uh, which can be found on the island, will burn hot enough to even destroy bone. And so that's what happened. That, that's, so that's where we are so far. Um, Valdivieso, who's the... Uh, the Ecuadorian who came to was brought to the island by Eloise to do the, all the, the manual labor. He hops the first boat back to the mainland, gone. And who can blame him? Like I can't imagine he let, he if all of that was going on anyway. I can't imagine he was doing well there. Um, and he's gone, and he gets himself out of this story. Um, yeah, so much drama. So. Rudolf Lorenz hangs around uh, for a bit. He's now the only person living at the Hacienda. Um, I think it's Paradise Hacienda is what she named it. Um, and so he's kind of thinking about going. Um, actually, uh, Thomas Howell Sr., no relation to Thurston Howell that I can discover, um, <laughs> sails into the bay and says, hey, do you want to ride you know, with me out of here? Because you know, they knew each other because everybody, everybody knew Eloise and would make stops to see her. Um, and Lorenz actually turns that down, but as soon as Thurston's gone, I'm sorry, not Thurston, <laughs> as soon as Thomas Howell's gone, um, he's like, hey, passing fisherman, um, would you carry me to San Cristobal? Um, and so take me to San Cristobal. I will get to a road, from, a ride from there to the mainland. So, um, oh, thanks, Jared Fox. Yeah, I will be, I'll, I'll be on replay. You can catch the rest later. Thanks for stopping by. I appreciate it. Um, sorry, I'm taking a long while to get around to the to the fun parts. <laughs> but mm. so, um, sorry, Rudolf Lorenz hires a Norwegian fisherman um, to carry him to San Cristobal. Oh, well, hang on, I've got pictures. There we go. Um, so. They uh, they disappear or they disappear. They they set sail from Floriana, heading to San Cristobal. They never make it to San Cristobal. Um, the boat ultimately is found on Marchena Island. Now let's quick review here. Here is Isla Floriana. Here is San Cristobal. Here is Marchena. Not even close to where they were supposed to be going. All right. Now, people see and report this um, on the island that there is a, you know, a a flag, a beacon of some sort um, raised. So, excuse me, Captain Hancock goes to check out. You know, okay, what's going on here? Because there's not a lot of stuff. Marchena has no no reason to be there, um, and they find. Both of both men, the fishermen, um, the Norwegian fin- fishermen, and um, Lorenz um, are there. Are dead. Have actually been mummified by the sun. Again, incredible amounts of uh, heat and sunlight there. That they, they died of thirst. They saw that they could. They had killed and eaten both a bird and a sea lion. But there's no fresh water on the island. There's no way to get water. Um, they were in a little skiff. They had no oars. Nobody knows what, what went wrong. What happened to the bigger boat? Why are they there? No, no idea. Um, so Captain Hancock, and I just want to give you guys a heads up. We have photos, but you are going to see the photos that, again, the scientific expedition took pictures. Um, so, you know, Captain Hancock, of course, immediately recognizes Rudolph because he knew him. Um, we had video and photos of them, you know, 
taken just not that long ago. Um, so they uh, were able to identify him. Now we can move on. So uh, anybody stopping in doesn't just be like, oh, wow, wow there's dead people on the screen. Um, so, you know, he had he had made a movie with this guy. He had taken um, film with this guy. He'd, he'd eaten with this guy. And um, so, yeah. Now, there's some uh, indication that the uh, Nigeri, I'm sorry, I'm so bad, like not good at Norwegian either, <laughs> but he was known to be a little reckless with his boat. Um, but he had a, a pregnant wife at home. He wouldn't have been, you know, trying to do anything too stupid. Uh, you know, who knows? Nobody, nobody has any idea how they got here. Um, so, jump ahead again to November, where this is all relatively happening fairly quickly. In November, Dr. Ritter eats some bad chicken and goes down with food poisoning. Wait a minute, Laura, didn't you say that he was a vegetarian? Yes, yes, I did. Um, but, again, it's a really tough environment. There was a drought on, and Dora says that they were not able to grow enough vegetables due to the drought, so they had to start eating some chicken. Dora ate the same chicken. Dora is fine. The uh, Dora, you know, seeing that uh, Frederick's really struggling, he's not doing well, he's near death, so she goes to the Wittmers to ask for help. Um... Margaret says it's curious that she waited so long to come ask for help. <laughs> so there's all kinds of insinuation going on all over the place. Um, the, both Margaret and Dora are present when Frederick Ritter dies. Both of them record this in their separate memoirs. And the end, those incidents cannot be more different. <laughs> so... Dora reports that, you know, the entire thing, she took care of him, she was devastated, um, even though he was, uh, you know, unpleasant to her about her multiple sclerosis, he, uh, you know, she, uh, yeah, you know, she, she was very, it was very, his death was tragic, and, and it was a thing, he departed with love, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Margaret reports that Frederick Ritter accused Dora of poisoning him, and at the end, when he could no longer speak, but he did get a piece of paper and wrote, I curse you with my dying breath, and then expired. These, these accounts are different. <laughs> so, um, but we just have, you know, the, the, the two sets of, of the two different accounts from the two different people. And, and the third account that would be Frederick Ritter's, he's not talking anymore. So they bury Frederick Ritter. Um, in December, Captain Hancock rolls around again, because again, he's just traveling around, you know, on this expedition. And so he stops by to, um, to say hello, but they're not, he's not greeted by Dr. Ritter, um, like he would be. And they find out that he's dead. The doctor traveling on doctor on Captain Hancock's ship, after he, talking to Dora and um, hearing the symptoms, he suspects it might not have been food poisoning. It might have been an aneurysm. But Frederick Ritter's been buried for a month. You know, like nobody nobody's gonna nobody's gonna be able to know this. Um, and anyway, lots of lots of. Uh, uncertainty. So let's just quick review where we are. In the space of seven months, we have three dead bodies and two suspicious missing persons. Um, so we're, we're moving pretty quickly here. Um, Margaret Wittmer, uh, she is the last, she survives the longest of any of the, <laughs> of any of this group. She did write a memoir. Um, Dora Straub, Ritmer, Corvine, you know, like, again, several different names. She also wrote a book. Um, Dora's book was, uh, was much more provocatively titled. It was Satan Came to Eden. Um, and she insisted that the Wittmers helped Lorenz kill uh, Eloise and uh, Robert Phillipson and then conceal the evidence. She did not present any evidence for this. Um, she just knows it to be true. She eventually went back to uh, Germany after all of this went down. Dr. Uh, Dr. Ritter died. 
She went back to Germany where she was admitted to a mental institute. She was in that mental institute when it was struck by a bomb in 1943, and um, that is where she died. Um, Margaret's memoir was much less salaciously titled. I think it's something like, you know, A Mother in the Galapagos or, or something. I can't remember it. It's offhand. Um, she died in 2000 at the age of 96, constantly dropping hints that she knew more than she had ever said and would never say. And she died without ever saying. Um, so, yeah, her descendants um, are still in the Galapagos um, and still own uh, businesses and land there. You can see the Wittmer name if you go and um, look around some of the tourism businesses in that area. So, in seven months, we went through three pe- three confirmed deaths, two probable deaths, and um, yeah, that's that's where we are. So, as far as I'm aware, nobody's ever written a fictional fictionalization, you know, of this, like we, there's been, um, there's been a documentary made of this, but nobody's ever, um, done like the true crime, uh, novel or the based on a true story novel or something. So, so this is a thing to look at. I don't know. Just, there's a, there's a lot of unanswered questions that I think, uh, need some, need some potential answers in some parallel fictional universe. So, All right. So that is the story of Floriana. And I feel really bad because I would love to have like a neat resolution there, but it's all just, and in seven months we went through five people and that's everything we know. So, um, it is not, so, um, my sister told me, uh, a couple days ago, she saw a tweet from a bookstore employee or someone had, um, was asking for they wanted true crime, but not based in real life. And uh, so we had a good laugh about that. So this is not true crime, not based in real life, because it's definitely based in real life. But it, it is true, but it may or may not be crime, because no charges were ever brought, and we have no evidence of any murders happening. Just a lot of very suspicious things. So, yeah, that's where we are. So... That was that was this week's field trip. We went to Isla Floriana. Oh, I've got um, got my nice pretty pictures. So um, this is a couple of nesting albatrosses, and um, I've got uh, got so many albatross pictures. <laughs> this is a sea lion. Just I love this this photo. He's asleep here, and then about every four or five minutes, he's just pop up, <gasps> suck air, and then go back down uh, underwater to nap, which made me laugh really hard. Blue-footed booby, because required by law. Their boobies come without blue feet. They come in other varieties as well, but these are the famous ones. Um, the Galapagos is such a trippy place. I'm <laughs> pretending to be a rock, yes, absolutely. Such a trippy place. You've got, like, pinnipeds and cacti on volcanic rock. I mean, it's just crazy. So, all of that. Penguins, because we had penguins on our last field trip, so I had to include one. And... Um, and this is a portrait of a Galapagos turtle that I took. And I, uh, Bridger, you'll particularly like this because um, I use this photo in my uh, shaping seminar when I talk about uh, clicker training, shaping for behavior. Um, because in my story on why timing matters, and um, so um, this, I'm with a guide, and a tortoise comes and is heading to help go take shelter under a bush from the sun and it gets to the bush and another tortoise is already under the bush and so now there's a tortoise conflict over this shade resource the way galapagos tortoises fight is they stretch up okay so i have i'm like oh my gosh i'm going to see a galapagos tortoise fight like what are the odds these tortoises are like oh i want the shade i want the shade Okay, it's like watching two glaciers come up, you know, slowly. <laughs> and I'm so excited that I'm taking photos, only I'm not actually taking photos. I flubbed the camera. I, I have no idea what happened, but I did not get the photos of the tortoise fight. 
And so I talk about, you know, like, you know, when you try to click accurately and you, you think of it as taking a picture, at least that's the way I do. And I'm like, I have these two glacial tortoises, you know, and I missed that photo, but I did get this photo. So um, at least I like this one. So there we go. <laughs> so that is, uh, that is the story of Floriana. And um, thanks for, thanks for joining me for the field trip. So this is the last to write and have written for 2020. It feels so nice to say the last anything for 2020. Like, I don't believe the world is going to suddenly change uh, when we arbitrarily roll over a, a number on a clock face. But it's really nice to have like a division where we could be like, okay, fresh start. <laughs> that works. Um, so... In, tw- in January 2021, uh, we are going to have some chats on realistic goal setting, uh, appropriate goal setting, a lot of things like that. Okay, if you want to believe it will arbitrarily change, go for it. Like, just, I'll be here. If it's not as satisfactory as you hoped, we'll be, we'll be here. We'll still have the support group going. <laughs> It'll be fine. Um, so... Uh, or is I going to that? Oh yeah. So we are going to have some, um, some goal setting and some, I don't know. I probably should have checked the calendar to remember. I, I have it on the calendar. Look at the calendar. It's there. So, um, we will be doing cool things into January and, um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> so thank you guys so much for coming and hanging out. Do I have any other thing? Let me check my notes. Do I have anything else I want to throw at you? No, I didn't. I didn't write anything down at all. So I'm going to assume that means there's nothing that needs to be taken care of. So that is it. We're going to wrap it here. And I will see you guys next week with a brand new year. And we will hope that the world will, boom, arbitrarily change and be awesome. So shining and sparkles and and all the things. So, all right. Thank you guys so much. Take care. Have a great week. I'll see you. Yeah. The obligatory. I'll see you next year. Okay. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening. You can find details on the weekly live stream, upcoming guests and topics, subscription and support information, and more at lauravab.com. Your shares, reviews, and support are very much appreciated. Until next time.